This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Ugh, hold on. My fucking dogs are barking. Ah! Hold on, hold on. When it's not the kids, it's the dogs, and then like the cat throws up. <laughs> I'm Amy Westervelt. I'm Elise Hugh. This is Labor, the social science on work, women, and motherhood. Things are happening. Here's my seven-year-old, Ava, at the end of March, which was a few weeks into the statewide school closures. My life changed because I had to stay home for two weeks, but I don't think it's going to be only two weeks. I think it's going to be for the next school year. Ugh, prescient child. Ava was right. School's not coming back because America's handling of the coronavirus pandemic ranks among the worst in the world. In sheer numbers, the coronavirus outbreak is worse than it has ever been. What we didn't hear is a plan. There's never been a plan to control the spread of the virus. As cases rise, the debate over reopening schools raging. As for the kids, the kids seem all right, sort of. But for parents like us... Isa, can you go, love? You want to blow that somewhere else? A semester or even more without our children in school is the current American reality, and it is a stressful, straining situation. Remote school? It's a nightmare. We're despairing as the vast majority of schools don't reopen this fall, and even those that do are only opening for a few days at a time. Yeah, totally. So, Elise, have you made a plan for this? What have you decided to do this fall? What are you doing? My neighbors across the street really wanted to do the whole potting idea. Um, right now, trying to take turns homeschooling our children or getting them onto their distance learning portals and whatnot. My littlest is in a tiny, tiny preschool where the class size is max six kids. So I did mm. wind up sending her back in person, and that's been amazing. And then the older ones are doing Zoom a few hours a day. I posted on some social media things, like trying to find ideas from people and and. A couple people talked about the pod thing, and I thought, this sounds really great in theory, but... Yeah, yeah in theory. <laughs> but, but finding people who can do that with you and then coordinating all of that, that's another yeah. job. Yeah, exactly. We're going to talk about that and the major way that after-school programs are stepping up to help right after this break. I went over to a friend's house and met up with a couple people to talk about it. And I just feel like there's a couple things, right? There's like the organizing and the figuring it all out that takes up a bunch of time. But then there's also this huge equality and equity issue that crops up where, you know, everyone's just left to their own devices to come up with a solve. And we end up kind of exacerbating all of these existing racial and class inequalities. Say more about that. What, what does that mean? Yeah. So the couple of families that I talked to initially are kind of, you know, upper middle class white families where the parents have mostly been working from home anyway. So, you know, it's like it's a little bit easier for them to 
do this whole like trade off of the homeschooling thing and whatnot. But then my older son has a couple of friends who both their parents work and they don't have the option of working from home. And they're kind of wondering, like, what are we going to do? Our kids can't just be home alone all day, you know. (laughs) And when I sort of like broached the subject of inviting these other two families in, you know, there was a little bit like they're higher risk because they work outside the home. So there's just a lot of these little things to work out. But here's a little bit of, of tape from us starting to try to have these conversations. What they need is somebody busting their balls, making sure they're like, doing their stuff on yeah, time. Yeah. And, and like, if they're not, just accountability. So that's my friend Jen. She has a middle schooler and a kid who's in my son Archie's class. They're going into third grade. And she was talking about how the middle schooler just kind of needs an adult making sure that he's doing his homework. That's one of the questions that's coming up if you have grade school kids, right? How does this work with multiple kids in different grades? And then if you are doing one of these pods, and we'd love to hear from you listeners too, are you going to come up with curriculum or different curriculum for different kids? We decided no. Um, We're just going to use the school's curricula. And then when it's like your turn as the adult to run, quote unquote, school, You just have to make sure that you know what each kid is supposed to be doing and they're doing their assignments and then you're sort of there to answer questions. Although we did talk about each parent planning like one lesson plan or activity each week. The real benefit was really just the kids socializing. Like my my kid, my youngest is pretty good actually at just like going outside and entertaining himself. But my older kid is turning into a gamer and he's eight years old (laughs) and it totally bums me out. Yeah. Ava, who you heard at the top, is getting curiously good at Minecraft. Yes. I'm not sure if that's something that I'm proud of. I know. Okay. And then, Amy, how is this going to work with three families? Like, how do you still get a five-day work weekend and run your day of curriculum or activities? Yeah, exactly. Oof. Yeah. Uh, I guess some help, though, is better than none, which is what most of us were dealing with all throughout the spring. Right. And then there's the time issue, right? Because we've talked before about even when everything is normal, the school day doesn't match the work day. You know, school days end at 2.30 or 3 or in some cases even earlier, but the work day never ends at that time. This gets right into what we want to talk about today, which is one of the most oft forgotten parts of the school day. After school. Yeah. And the need for those programs that we had before the pandemic and how much those programs are actually in jeopardy now. You might remember our first guest this season was Julie Kohler talking about how school will come back, but the childcare options outside of school are being just decimated right now. Yeah, exactly. Experts are predicting we'll lose close to half a million daycare spots out of the pandemic. So that means the 27 million working parents who need childcare to make their jobs work are going to be competing for even fewer spots than were available before. Childcare providers are asking Congress for between 24 and 50 billion dollars just to keep existing places open and even if they get it, which seems kind of unlikely to be honest, a bunch are already closed and they're not coming back. So to talk about all that, we called up Nikki Yamashiro. She's the director of research at the After School Alliance, which is a nonprofit that's pushing for policy and funding for after school programs. They're really helping fill gaps for essential workers and their families and helping low income families that were relying on school lunches, which is another reason these programs are super crucial. 
They're incredibly critical to making American families work, and yet there are just not enough of them. And the ones that exist are way, way, way underfunded. That was true before COVID, and now the need is expanding and the funding is not. Here's our chat with Nikki. Hey, Nikki, welcome to Labor. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. First, let's just lay this out. School often ends at 3 p.m. or even earlier. The workday certainly doesn't. So unless you have a stay-at-home parent in your household, which the vast majority of American families do not, after school programs are crucial, they have to step in. So according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 72% of American mothers with school-age kids work, but only half of public schools have on-site after-school programs. Yeah. How does that play out for working families, Nikki? We had a national household survey, and what we found is that there are more than 11 million kids who are out there alone and unsupervised after school. Um, We also asked about after-school participation and unmet demand for programs, and we found that for every one kid in an after-school program, there are two more who are waiting to get in. You are exactly right. After-school programs are severely underfunded, and we know that the need and the demand is there, but the investment hasn't kept up with demand. So where are these kids winding up, the ones that sort of are on waiting lists or need care and aren't getting it? I think what parents have to do is they're putting together a patchwork of supports, right? So for some people, it's at home, alone, unsupervised. For some kids, it's staying with older siblings or with other adults. And, you know, there are clubs and after-school activities. Research has also found that young people who aren't involved in structure activities after school, they're more likely to engage in risky behaviors, to experiment with drugs, um, to skip school. But if we look at the opportunity that after-school programs provide for the kids and families who are able to access them, we see that they are inspiring students to learn because they're letting students be curious and really explore since it is this low-stake environment where it's okay to make mistakes. Um, And it's a place where it's about the whole child, right? It's more than just academics. Yes, programs help kids with homework and there's academic enrichment, but the programs are helping kids learn to work in teams, to build their self-confidence, to develop leadership skills, What would you say is the biggest kind of blocker to getting funding for these programs? Is is it strictly monetary? Are there cultural hangups that people have about who should be picking these kids up and when? (laughs) Like what's what's the challenge there? The biggest challenge really is just that funding isn't keeping up with the demand for programs. Programs are primarily funded through parent fees. I want to say it's more than 70%. And that's where you need public investment because programs are then able to leverage that public investment and get private support and kind of supplement what parents are able to pay to help start to close that opportunity gap that we know that exists in America. So um, what was happening on that front kind of before COVID in terms of trying to get more funding or some sort of legislative support for these programs? Overall, investment in after-school programs has largely stayed flat. There are some states that have started their own state funding streams. California is a great example. 
of a place that's put a lot of state investment into after-school programs. New York City, there are other kind of bubbles where investment in after-school programs is going up. But if we look at the national picture, when budgets are tight, people see after-school programs as a nice-to-have, but not a necessary component of Mm -hmm. the education landscape. Okay, we're going to pop out of this interview for a minute to give a little history interlude to understand why we think of aftercare as some kind of luxury and kind of like something that only lazy moms need. We're going to have to go back 100 years and talk about Ms. Josephine Dodge, the literal worst woman ever. This is the lady who started the daycare system, but then shamed moms who used it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Josephine Dodge was the president of the National Federation of Day Nurseries. This was a thing that progressive reformers created to basically help out working women in the early 1900s. She was the president for three decades. She actually helped start the first daycare. But... These mothers needed childcare because at the time there were more orphans in orphanages with living mothers than actual orphans because moms just didn't know what to do with their kids while they were Which is wild. (laughs) It's so crazy. So Josephine Dodge and some other reformers got these nurseries going to help out these women. And it all sounds good at first blush. Right. But then... Josephine is constantly giving speeches about how day nurseries are a crisis solution only, that in an ideal situation, mothers should be at home with their children. And that's why here we are 100 years later with a whole bunch of shame wrapped up in childcare. Thanks, Josephine. Yeah, great. Thanks. And that idea, it sure lasted. (laughs) It has been passed down in our culture generation after generation and is now a huge part of why it's so hard to get subsidized daycare policies passed or even just adequate funding for aftercare today. That's right. So childcare shame, get rid of it. Yep. I also think it would be extremely helpful if subsidized daycare policy was framed as just family care policy. I think that would help to get people who don't have kids but are worried about maybe taking care of a parent or a sick family member to kind of get on board with this too and push just a broader care policy. Sure. And now back to the interview. And this program's question is obviously huge because after-school programs have had to essentially continue providing services during this really difficult time, right? So some eight out of 10 after-school programs had to pivot to virtual ones when the pandemic hit. Nearly 40% started distributing meals to families. And then a handful even stayed open to look after the children of essential workers. That was from your first survey back in March and April when the pandemic first raged in America. What are you seeing now in terms of what these programs are doing to continue to provide services now that school is starting again for the fall, but schools are not going to open? Yeah, I mean, what we're seeing is that programs are really stepping up and adapting their services to meet the unique needs of their community. So we've talked to programs who are in rural areas who are traveling 30 miles to check in and have these front porch counseling sessions with their students. 
We've talked to programs who are serving high percentages of English language learner students, and then their families are coming to them needing services that they didn't need before because of the pandemic. So programs are dedicating resources to translate materials on COVID for families and helping them walk through the steps of how to access the services that are available to them. We've also talked to programs who are helping close the digital divide. Wow. It seems very clear that these programs are providing extremely necessary services and that funding is an issue and has been sort of a chronic issue. Do you have any sense of why there hasn't been more funding put towards these things? Why is it being left up to parent fees? And are there any sort of coordinated legislative pushes to get at this with public spending, especially now? What is the cultural or political block there? There is this outdated idea of what after-school programs are. Um, A lot of people still think of programs as just babysitting as a place where you keep your kids and maybe they get a healthy snack. There isn't a recognition of just how far after-school programs have come and all the supports that they provide, not just the kids and their programs, but the supports they provide for working families. Even at the local level, after-school programs aren't being brought to the table to talk about decisions about what's happening in the school day. Um, And I think we need to break down the silos that exist in the education system. This has been a tremendously challenging year. You are watching needs grow, but then not enough capacity to meet need when it comes to care, namely after-school care. As somebody who works in this field, how does it make you feel? What has this year been like for you? Can you talk a little bit about that? It's been hard, but it's also been inspiring because we've seen all of the ways that after-school programs are stepping up. That was Nikki Yamashiro. You can find more information about her group at afterschoolalliance.org. Big thanks to Nikki. Amy, what do you think about it? The situation for aftercare programs is even worse than I thought. Uh, Usually, I err on the side of being more negative, um, but... But yeah, like the the fact that for every one kid that's in a program, there are two that need or want to be in a program and are waiting is ridiculous to me. And then the fact that five out of six programs are like not sure they'll even be around in the fall anymore, it just really worries me about what happens when eventually schools do open back up and there's even fewer of these programs available. Yeah, it just seems like there's so much overwhelming need and no urgency to try and fill that need. It pisses me off that the funding is almost entirely parent fees. Like that is such a total systemic social failure that this program, which like we just heard her talking about how it's feeding people now during the pandemic, you know, and it's like providing services for essential workers. Like it's clearly extremely necessary. It should not be left up to individual families to be paying for. That's insane. It's wild. Wild time.
And that's it for this time. Thanks for joining us. I'm Elise Hugh. I'm Amy Westerbelt. Labor is a labor of love, a co-production of my company, Critical Frequency. And my company, Reasonable Volume. This episode is produced and edited by our partner in crime, Rachel Swaby, and mixed and mastered by Mark Bush. Big thanks again to our guest, Nikki Yamashiro, for her insights. And if you are liking this kind of stuff, please subscribe, rate us, and tell your friends to subscribe. And also, we want to hear from you. So you can email team at reasonablevolume.com, team at reasonablevolume.com, or tweet at us. I'm at Elise W-H-O, and Amy is at Amy Westervelt. Talk to you next time.